still wearing the chains. Not for much longer, though. Not for much longer. How many of you would agree that the struggle is real? To have a stronghold, in other words, is to have a struggle. And it's real. Would you agree? Can I give you some encouragement right out of the gate tonight? Our God is one who crumbles walls, slays giants, and releases captives. So whether you feel like it's a wall you can't climb over, a giant you can't defeat, or a prison you can't escape, God has you covered either way. Because he's been there and he's done that. And he's conquered each and every one of those things. And he can do the same thing with your stronghold tonight, regardless of how it may feel or how it may look to you. I want to look at what has become over the years one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it's found in Romans chapter 7. So if you want to go ahead and make your way there, that's where we're going to hang out for a little bit tonight. And in this passage, we get to see Paul, who is the writer, have what I would consider to be a vulnerable moment. And for you ladies, that might not be anything special because... I feel like you guys know how to have vulnerable moments all the time. But for us guys that are full of pride, we have a hard time with vulnerability. We have a hard time with emotion. We have a hard time with letting any what we might consider be weakness be shown. And so for Paul to have a moment here, and Paul, Paul by no means was what I would consider to be a vulnerable kind of guy. Paul was very hard-nosed. He was very up front, he was very kind of, uh, kind of a manly dude. And so for him to have a vulnerable moment here is kind of an impactful thing for us to see, and that's exactly what's happening here in Romans chapter 7. But we're going to pick up in verse 15 where Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. Can anybody relate from like the first six words of the text tonight? For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see and my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here's my title for tonight. I'm never doing that again. I'm never doing that again. I think all of us would admit that when it comes to our strongholds, whatever they may be, we've made that statement before. It may be fooling around 
sexually, it may be refusing to eat a meal, it may be harming yourself physically or just giving in to the lies of the enemy. But most of us within the context of our strongholds have probably uttered that statement before. I'm never doing that again. But we know how the cycle always seems to go, right? I'm never doing that again. And then I do that again. I'm never doing that again. And then I do that again. I know one thing is for certain after this last time, I'm never doing that again. And then I do that again. We're familiar with how the cycle works, how we have this desire to not do those things again, but we continue to do those things over and over and over again. And here's why I love this passage so much. It's because we get to see that Paul understood the struggle. We don't know exactly what his struggle was, but we know it wasn't good. We know that it was sinful in nature. I'm like, this is Paul. Paul, of all people, the guy who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, the guy's probably one of the greatest missionaries to walk the face of the earth, planted more churches probably than any other church planner in the history of church planting. Paul, this guy of all people, is sitting here, and he is battling back and forth with himself, talking about how I keep on doing the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I do want to do is what I cannot ever seem to do. Now, I know y'all can relate to this. I know you've been in that kind of struggle before. And just like Paul, you said, here's what I know I want to do, but I keep doing this thing that I know I'm not supposed to be doing. And even though I don't want to continue doing those things I'm not supposed to be doing, for some reason, that's why I keep on doing those things. And it drives us nuts. It drives us crazy. It's the epitome of a stronghold. It's the epitome of being in bondage. It's the epitome of being, as he described it, captive to whatever that thing may be. And I don't want you to get it twisted. I don't love this passage because I take delight in seeing other people struggle. That'd be kind of sick. I love it because when it comes to struggles, there's a level of comfort found in knowing that you're not alone in them. That other people are fighting the same demons that you are. Paul understood the struggle was real and that the cycle at times seemed unbreakable. And so at this point, I think it begs the question, how does the cycle break? More so than that, is it actually possible to never do that again? Can that be accomplished? Can that be done? Now, before we get to those answers, let me take a moment to call something out as we get going. Some of you just because of the longevity that your stronghold has maintained through your life are already filled with doubt and skepticism about whether or not this can happen. The devil is already pelting you with a false reality that there is no chance. There's no way it can end. There's no way it can be broken. As a matter of fact, it's been there for three months. Actually, it's been there for five years for some of you for 10 years for some of you, for 15 years for some of you, and he's already inside of your mind saying, if it's been there for that long, <laughs> there's no chance it's going anywhere now. Jesus, in his ministry on this earth, actually encountered a woman one time who had struggled with a blood issue, and he healed her. She had struggled with that issue for 12 years. Another time in his ministry, he encountered another woman that had been disabled by what was called a 
debilitating spirit. And so she walked around with a hunch in her back, and Jesus healed that woman as well. And she had struggled with that debilitating spirit for 18 years. Another time, Jesus is walking into one of the temple areas, and he passes by a pool, and there's a bunch of paralyzed people there. And there's one guy in specific that he passed by who was paralyzed, and Jesus healed him. He had been that way for 38 years. As a matter of fact, his own people, the Israelite people themselves, when he liberated them from Egyptian bondage, had been in their bondage for 400 years. So don't let the devil lie to you tonight and tell you that the longevity of your stronghold is beyond God's reach to break through in. A woman who struggled with an issue for 12 years healed. Another woman who struggled struggled with a debilitating spirit, healed, 18 years. A man who was paralyzed, 38 years, healed. Egyptian bondage, 400 years, liberated. God can set you free from your stronghold, regardless of how long you have been struggling with that thing. And the thing about it is, the cool thing about this is, is that all of that freedom occurred just from the word of God being spoken. If Jesus speaks it, the devil can't stop it. So let's go ahead and shut that lie down from the beginning tonight. And I want to share with you some things that hopefully by the end you'll see can be broken. It can be done away with. But there's some understanding of some specific things that we've got to arrive at first. And the first one that I need you to see is that desire doesn't mean ability. If you go back and look in chapter 7 and verse 18 is Paul is dealing with this inner struggle of not being able to do what he wants to do and continuing to do the things that he doesn't want to do. He says something that really clues us in to a key point in verse 18 in the second half of the verse. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So as Paul is talking about this struggle, he lets us in on this key point. And he says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So everything inside of him wants to do what is right. Everything inside of him wants to abstain from not doing the things that he doesn't want to do, but he just can't. And most often with our strongholds, I think you would agree that there is a deep desire within us to stop or to break free or to abstain from whatever it is that we felt like we have been in bondage to for so long. Very rarely is it a question of us having a desire to not want to do those things, to not want to engage in those practices, to not want to indulge in those specific passions, but it's very often met with the inability to do so. That's why we've got to understand that desire doesn't mean ability. On Fridays, Fridays are my off day, and that's my day to stay with our son, Graham. So Friday is kind of like guy day for us, and so we just hang out at the house, and we do whatever it is we want to do all day long. It's great, and I love it. And so we're sitting in the house a couple of weeks ago, and he's got a little basketball goal in the house, and he shoots, like, constantly. I mean, the kid, no joke, probably puts up, like, a 1,000 shots a day. And he's over there shooting on his basketball goal. And I'm sitting on the couch, and I'm watching. And every now and then, he'll bring me a ball and let me shoot every now and then. I'm watching TV and stuff. Well, somehow in the process, he ends up knocking the goal over. And so 
when the goal hits the ground, it kind of catches my attention, and I look over there, and he goes, uh-oh. And so he runs over to the, the goal, and he starts trying to, to pick it up, and he's doing his best to pick it up, and he can only get it so far. It kind of slides across the linoleum floor, and it falls back down, and he tries to pick it up at least 10 or 12 different times. And each time he fails, he gets a little more frustrated with his failure, so you can see it like kind of getting all over his face. Like every time it falls back down, he's just like, and he, and he keeps trying, he keeps trying. Finally, he, he gets to the point where he becomes so frustrated that he does what any good two-year-old would do. He sits down on the floor and begins to cry because he can't get his goal back up. And so I look over at my two-year-old son, you know, and he's, he's plopped in the floor at this point. He's like, and it's just the worst thing ever. It's like a tragedy to him. You know, because he, he wants so badly to stand the goal back up so he can keep playing. It was never a matter of desire. After he cried for a little bit, I just kind of sat on the couch and watched and observed just to see what he would do next. Finally, he turns around and he looks at me like, you serious, bro? <laughs> You're not going to do anything about this? And so he's like, back if all going. And he's pointing at it because he knows he can't do anything about it. Can't do anything about it. It's not that he doesn't want to be able to do anything about it. It's just that doesn't have the ability to do anything about it. And in the midst of that, guys, man, I saw such a vivid picture of us battling our strongholds. Most of the time, we don't lack desire in wanting to overcome or escape or be free from them. We hate that it's in our lives. So we fight and we push and we claw and we scratch to try and get it out. We expend all this effort and all this energy by fighting through our desire to be rid of it. And yet, time and time again, we, we get overpowered and then we give in. And eventually we give out and then eventually we give up. Because we're not able. And so like Paul, we... See, this dilemma of I desire to do what's good, but I'm overpowered by sin. I don't possess the ability that is needed. And so at the end, he says, what can I do then? Who shall deliver me from this? And it might be a silly comparison, guys, but it's a powerful truth. It just like my son has a daddy who could walk over there and do for him what he was unable to do for himself, then we too have a father who is able to come up beside us and in the battle of our strongholds, able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So you don't have the ability 
to fight your way out. You don't have the ability to put your way through. You don't have the ability to climb over the top of it, but you have a Father God in heaven who is more than able to overcome what you and yourself might have the desire to, but the inability to do. I have the desire, but He has the ability. And so Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because he can do what I can't. And so listen to me, the trick to all this is, is that we don't need a greater desire, we need a greater dependence. And that's when our father steps in and says, let me help you. You can't, but I can. And so many of us, you keep battling, you're strong, you keep, you keep pushing back, you're trying to break chains. And you are unable to, to do so, but you think if I can muster up a little more desire, maybe somehow, some way, I can pull loose. You don't need a greater desire, you need a greater dependence. Paul gets the point, he says, Who will deliver me? I know. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You don't need desire, you need dependence. It's not a matter of your ability, it's a matter of your Father's ability. And then he shows us his ability by this next truth that I want to point out is the fact that Jesus severed sin's power. In Romans chapter 8, we'll pick up in verse 1, so the story continues. So after Paul kind of gets to this point where he's like, I, I, I have the desire, but I don't have the ability, but I know somebody that does. And then he goes on to explain how his ability comes through. And he says in chapter 8 and verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. So in our inability, Christ stepped in in his ableness. This is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came from heaven and did what we could not do for ourselves, ultimately in overcoming and conquering sin. We were lost, separated in our own rebellion and against an almighty just God who had every right to condemn us in our sin, but in his love and his grace and in his mercy decided to send his son Jesus on a rescue mission to reconcile what we fractured so that our relationship could be restored and we could be set free from the very things that overpower us and keep us in bondage. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why we sing, that's why we praise, that's why we gather, that's why we do all these things, because we are people who have been set free by the blood of Jesus. But listen, before all that took place, we had no choice but to be controlled by our sinful nature. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sin condemned us. Look at verse 3, though. Paul says this about Christ. And the Father who sent him, he said, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
See the beauty of the gospel? Sin condemned us, but Jesus condemned sin. You know what it means to be condemned? Quite frankly, it means to be sentenced to death. Sin gave us a death sentence. But Jesus on the cross gave sin a death sentence and gave us a ransom. <laughs> Is it good news? Sin condemned us, but Jesus condemned sin. That's the beauty of the cross. It's the mystery of the gospel is that while sin was being put to death, at the same time, we were being brought to life. And that's the glory of Christ and his work inside of us. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Listen, if you have been born again in Jesus, sin's power has been severed in your life. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Romans 6, 14, one of the most liberating verses I think we find in all of Scripture says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So here's the good news about sin. As believers in Christ, guess what? You don't have to. You don't have to. Grab somebody beside you and tell them you don't have to. You don't have to. In Christ, you don't have to act like that. You don't have to talk like that. You don't have to think like that. You don't have to give in to that. You don't have to be bound by that. Jesus at the cross put your stronghold in a chokehold and strangled the life out of it with his blood so that we can live free of it, not oppressed by it. You don't have to. That stronghold, as strong as it may seem, guess what? You don't have to. Because Jesus has severed sin's power, it will have no dominion. It will have no authority. It will have no power over you. Listen, even if, even if your stronghold isn't powered by personal sin, but somebody else's sin, this is for those of you who may have been abused in some way. And I would guarantee that there are some of you in here who have. You may not have ever shared that with anybody in your life. But in a room this big, this many people, I guarantee you there are some people in here who have suffered at the hands of an abuser. I need you to hear this for a moment. I can't relate to that in any way, form, or fashion. I've never been abused in my life. I've never gone through that pain. So I'm not going to stand here and pretend to act like I have or that I know how to deal with that. But as I was getting ready for this message, I came across the testimony of a girl who had been. But she had found Jesus and surrendered her life to him. And in her testimony, she talks about how she was horrifically abused by her dad. And I'm not going to go into the details of the abuse and what kind it was, but just know that it was awful. And something that no human being should ever have to go through, especially not at the hands of a father. After she found Jesus, they were talking about her abuse and what she went through and the things that she had suffered at the hands of her dad and how she dealt with that now. How she moved on with her life, how she healed, how she recovered, how she got out of bed each and every day. And she said, it came to the point that Jesus so transformed my life and filled me with this truth that quite simply I'm not defined 
by my abusive father. I'm defined by my adoptive father who has made me new and declared me clean. She's talking about God, her father. She said, yeah, I went through something that was horrid. I went through something that was terrible. I went through something that, yeah, I still wear the scars and the wounds from, but I don't live in bondage to that. Why? Because my abusive dad doesn't get to define me. My adopted father, God, gets to define me through his word. He says I'm a new creation. He says I'm clean. He says I'm restored. He says I'm a masterpiece. And it changed her life. Jesus has the power to change broken lives like that. He says sin will have no dominion over you. No dominion. When facing your stronghold, guys, I promise this will be a life-changing truth for you to accept. That sin, through Christ, has no rule over you. No authority over you to make you obey its passions like it once did. But i got to point something else out here because somebody needs to hear this as well. Can I, can I just say, stop, stop being scared of freedom. And you might think, well, what a weird thing to say, Trey. Why would anybody be scared of freedom? Why do you feel the need to tell somebody to stop being scared of freedom? Because here's the deal. With strongholds, sometimes we're afraid to accept freedom because that means we also have to admit fault. And it's much easier for us to think that we do those things because we have no power against those things. It's a cop-out, so to speak. If I don't accept freedom, then I don't have to admit fault when I have a shortcoming or when I have a failure or when I relapse back into that stronghold that I battled that Christ has told me he has set me free from. So much easier for me to not accept freedom. Much easier for me to just be scared of freedom. That way I don't have to admit my fault when I have a mess-up. If I'm not free, then I can't be at fault. And Jesus can't be upset with me, he can't be disappointed with me, he can't be frustrated with me because if I'm not free, once again, I'm not at fault. And listen, this is a classic bait and switch move of the enemy that he has used since the beginning of time. Romans 8.1, we read it at the beginning, but I think you've already forgotten it. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So the enemy wants you to be scared of freedom. He wants to trick you into thinking that if you accept freedom, you'll have to admit fault. And when you admit fault, Jesus will condemn you. But Romans 8, 1 says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ. So you've got to stop listening to the half-twisted truths of the devil. He'll take God's word and he'll switch it around. He'll bait you with it and then he'll pull it out from under you. He did it in the garden with Eve. Did God really say not to eat from that tree? It's not that he doesn't want you to eat from the tree. It's that he knows that you'll be like him. Bait and switch. Pull the rug out from under you. Condemn sin. Here we are today. Jesus had to come to the cross. It's an age-old tactic. It's time that we start letting the devil know you need to come up with some new schemes because it's getting old and it ain't working and it's not going to be effective any longer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Christ has severed sin's power in your life. Start living free. I'm sick and tired of seeing believers walk around in a slump state of mind all the time. <laughs> Eeyores, a bunch of Eeyores. 
Supposed to be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. Supposed to be the most free people on the face of the earth. Yet all I hear over and over again, man, the devil has just been wearing me out. Well, I just got a demon on my back. I can't get anything in my corner. I don't have anything going good for me. I don't have anything going good for me. Let me open up a book, got about 2,000 pages in it, and show you how much good you have going for you. Start living in freedom. It's what Jesus gave us. Start acting like we're free. Listen, you're not in bondage to sin. You may feel like you're in bondage to sin. But if you are in Christ, you are not in bondage to sin. So what's that mean? Best part of the whole message. The impossible is possible. Verse 5 of chapter 8. It says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. All of this now means that the impossible is possible. Paul goes on to say that as believers, we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us. We have such a lack of appreciation for the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have such a lack of understanding of His power at work in us. Can I I just correct something? The Holy Spirit is not an it. I don't know, it sounds funny, but throughout my life on several different occasions, I have heard people refer to the Holy Spirit of God as an it. Well, I see it at work. I see it moving in my life. I believe it's for me. It's not an it. It was the cousin in the Adams family. The Holy Spirit is not it. It is He. It is God Himself. Part of the triune God that lives within us. He is a person. And He is living and active. And He indwells each and every one of us who have professed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I want to key in on something real quick as we finish up tonight. Verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. There is nothing more concrete. There is nothing more certain. There is nothing more complete than death itself. It cannot be changed. It cannot be reversed. It cannot be avoided. Its final answer is always an indefinite yes. When Jesus died on the cross... The Holy Spirit, three days later, raised him back to life. Now listen to me. Dead things don't come back to life. So that means the Spirit did something that was supposed to be impossible. Because Jesus most assuredly walked out of that tomb. But it wasn't supposed to happen. Death is final. Can't be reversed, can't be changed. Yet the Spirit did it. And that power, that power, resurrection power, 
lives inside of you as a child of God. You have resurrection power flowing through your veins, through the Holy Spirit of God. So guess what? That means the cycle can be broken. That means it is possible to never do that again. Not because of our ability, but because of the Spirit's. Not because we can overpower sin, but because the Spirit can overpower sin. The impossible is possible. If you will truly start believing that the Holy Spirit of God is who He says He is and can do what He says He can do. After I stood Graham's goal back up for him, he, uh, he grabbed his ball and went back to shooting. And I walked back over to the couch and I sat down. I didn't really think anything else about it, but he, he shot a couple of times. And, and then he stopped, he grabbed his ball, and he went over there and he sat it down next to the goal, and he turned back around and he walked over to the couch, and he came up to me and he gave me a hug. And the lessons that you can learn from a child. When Jesus does for you what you couldn't do for yourself, don't forget to show some thankfulness. My two-year-old son tried and tried and tried. Couldn't pick that goal up. But his daddy could. And he walked over there and he did it for him. And he shot a couple of hoops after I put it back up for him. And then somehow, some way, in his small, unformed brain, still in major, major development stages that wake him up, unfortunately, about every two and a half to three hours in the night, which then wake us up every two and a half to three hours in the night, something inside of that clicked. And he says, wait a minute. Hold on. I, I wouldn't be enjoying this right now if my daddy hadn't have come over here and helped me. And he sets his ball down. He walks over and gives a hug. And after we hug, guess what? I walk back over there. Started hooping again. So oftentimes, Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves, and we never think to show any thankfulness. We never think to give Jesus a hug, so to speak. But one thing I've learned about strongholds is that when Jesus sets you free from them, and he will set you free, I believe he's going to set you free. I believe some of you even now are in the process of seeing freedom come about. And it is a process in some ways. When Christ sets you free from those things, you will find that undoubtedly the temptation to go back into them will soon follow. And more times than not, it will never leave. You can be free from the stronghold, but you may never escape the temptation. But listen, here's, here's a trick that I found. Here's the key. Is that Thanksgiving has the power to silence temptation. When temptation wants to fill your mind, when the enemy wants to fire off those darts to send you back into that addiction, to send you back into that disorder, to send you back into that mental state, to send you back into that self-harm state, if you will start giving your thanks to God, if you will start giving your praise to God, if you will turn up your worship music all the way up, to 100 or whatever level your stereo goes to and you will start singing your praises it's amazing how that temptation will fly right out of the door
Thanksgiving silences temptation. How many of you believe that the impossible is possible through Jesus? Still got the chains on, but not for much longer. Not for much longer. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.